Good morning. Today's, that was just beautiful. This morning's um, Bible reading is Nehemiah 2, verses 9 to 20. Nehemiah 2, verses 9 to 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalot the Haranite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord.
I love hearing her read the Word of God. There's nothing like the Word of God, and I hope it touches you as it does me just to hear it. Even though I prepared a message today, uh, to hear the Word like that uh, is just fresh. It's like washing over me right now, just thanking God for, for what He is, who He is, and, and what He can do in our lives. And I hope that you can take that in yourself. And, and receive from him because he loves you and and he is always there amen um, before we get into the word let me just go ahead and share with you that last Sunday marked the five-year anniversary that we've been in this facility isn't that something <laughs> praise God and we've got folks that are out and, uh, of course, we've got winter folks that will be with us come after Thanksgiving. And by January, we'll, we'll have the full crowd here. But uh, can we look at some pictures real quick? Do we have any of those that we can show? Eric is working hard to put them up. There we go. This, this was the early beginning here. At the, this is how we started. Okay. There's your crowd as we started here at the school five years ago, the first Sunday of October. Oh. Utilizing the space that God had provided. And things took off from there. We thought that we would have a, a hard launch with advertising in January. And, and we got to January, and there was no room left. So we did, never launched. We never <laughs> advertised. It was already full. And the Lord had uh, clearly blessed us. We were thankful for that. But these are the early beginnings. That's good. Thank you. I, I, I wanted to bring us to that point because there's always a beginning with God. And... You can look in your life at different things that have happened through the years, and you can go back and see that there was a beginning. The, 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 what you want to see is that, that the beginning is not the end. It's just the beginning of the beginning. And you're still very much in what God is doing. And we as a church are still very much in what God is doing. And now God is providing a, a new location for us to have as a home a place where we can be a lighthouse to our community. And I hope and pray that you will uh, join us in that. I know that the body will, and those of you who are newer to the church, I hope that you find your place in that. And to help those of you who are newer to feel as if you understand what Vero Bible Fellowship is about and, and, and to make a decision to be part of what we're doing, we have a first step class, which is for those who are newer, to learn more about the church and learn more about how we approach the Bible, how we approach uh, church governance, how are we set up, uh, what is the future for our church. And so on October 17th, later this month, at 6 p.m., uh, we're going to have a class over at the Church of Christ on, on uh, uh, 20th Street. But uh, you can sign up today at the table in the back if you'd like to attend that. It's for anyone. Uh, nobody's going to force anything upon you. It's a place where you can come, uh, treat it like a Q&A. It's an opportunity to meet some folks who are in leadership, 
both uh, pastoral as well as just volunteer leaders who serve. And then it's also a place where uh, we can answer questions that you have. And we do have some food for you, so it's a nice evening. So come out October 17th at 6 p.m. But please let us know you're coming, so go to the back and sign up if you would. I wanted to get that in here. I felt like that was important. Uh, but I also want us to think about where we're going, not just where we've been in pictures of the past, but where is God leading us in the future? And it's interesting that God would lead us to the book of Nehemiah at this time. And here, what we had read for us by Carmen, and what we're looking at today in chapter 2 is very interesting. I want to give you uh, three points to this message today. First is, there is a needed preparation. We're going to look at the needed preparation. And then secondly, the careful planning. The careful planning. And third, know your uh, know your opposition. Know your opposition. And this is where God has us today in this study. These principles can be applied to your lives in every facet of your life. And if you are a true believer of God, then you truly want to share Christ with others and you will truly be facing opposition as you do it. This idea that somehow it's just, let's go out and let's just tell people about the love of Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. Um, that's a half-truth. God has not called his people to give half-truths. It is true that Jesus loves you and that Jesus wants you to respond to his love. But it's also true that you need to know why and how Jesus loves you. The fact is that every human being is born into sin. We're sinners. When we started out, we were at enmity with God. We were not God's children. We were not his friends. We were his enemy. We chose to be his enemy. Today, as a matter of fact, this world still is at enmity with God. But a true believer has come to realize that they were changed because God came after them and he saved them and he put his heart in them. Instead of a heart of stone, God gave them a heart of flesh. And now they're a changed person because of God's wonderful work through Jesus on the cross. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, is it not? I've met a lot of Christians over the years, and, and I've met some who were sorry Christians. Not sorry that they were, they were sorry Christians, okay? But, but the fact is, if you are truly saved and you understand the grace of God and what God has done, you're not going to be a sorry Christian because you know the price that was paid. Listen, to whom much has been given... Much is required. And for us to understand that we have been forgiven so much in that we were sinners, lost, dying, going to hell, and Jesus forgave us. Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. To that person who understands that, that he was forgiven much, that person will love much and forgive others much. Because we know that God's love is in us. God's love is not a wishy-washy love. It is a love that's clearly defined as us being claimed by him as his own. 
and the price that he had to pay to claim us as his own was great. We should never take that for granted. Amen? Well, God's greatest work that he's ever done on this earth, God always does that work through ordinary, busted, broken, shattered, splintered people. God has never chosen kings. He's never chosen the prominent. He's always chosen the one that's weak, weary, the one that doesn't see in themselves the ability to do what God's calling them to do. So they don't rest on their own laurels. They truly lean into God to do it. God loves broken people. And that's exactly what we see here. We see God releasing his children in three separate waves from captivity to return to Jerusalem after 70 years in captivity. And he raises up these broken, shattered men, ordinary men, Ezra, Nehemiah, and some others that he just said, you're the leaders. And here we are in the book of Nehemiah, and we're learning that God is using Nehemiah, an ordinary man, to do an extraordinary work. And I want to lay it out for you this way. You might be an ordinary person. In fact, everybody in the room is. If you think you're more than that, you're fooling yourself. You're ordinary. There are no extraordinary men or women. When I say men, I mean everybody. That's just a phrase. That's how the Bible speaks oftentimes. But I'm telling you, God takes ordinary men and he puts extraordinary gifts in them so that they can carry out the extraordinary. And I'm here to tell you that every single one of you that are ordinary have been given special, unique gifts by God. And those gifts are not natural. They are supernatural. They are given by him for first and foremost for his purposes. But he also allows us to use that gifting for ourselves and for helping others. And some of us have amassed great wealth because of the gifting God gave us. But you should also be wealthy towards God. Amen? If you have a great skill, a great ability that God just naturally gave you, you say, well, I'm an engineer. I worked hard for my degree. But you have to have the mind to do the math. You didn't come up with that mind. God gave you that mind. If you can't do the math, I'm going to tell you right now, you'll never be an engineer. Uh, one of my dear friends, Fred Beeson, who was vice president of Kimberly Horn, which is an, an engineering firm, civil engineering firm, uh, that's now spread all over the place. But they started in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was one of the founding uh, leaders of that, that uh, engineering firm. And he said, Greg, I can remember in high school when the light came on and I began to understand how math is in everything. The light came on. And he said, but I'm sorry to say that the engineers, so many engineers that we have today, 
They cannot do the math. They don't know the math well enough to do the formula on their own. They have what is called the computer. And the computer does the math. And if the computers went down, they'd be like anybody else. It's a layperson. They couldn't do it. See, that's a unique gift. Would you not say that God puts that in the mind of a person to do it? Well, that's you, and that was Nehemiah, and that's what we're talking about here, that God uses ordinary people, but he gives them extraordinary gifts, and they might be uneducated and untrained like Peter and John, but in Acts 13 and 14, the people said, we recognize these men as having been with Jesus. Something unique about them. Something different about them. They're ordinary, but they're doing extraordinary things because they've been with somebody who's extraordinary. God takes the regular and the normal and makes godly evangelists and pastors, Sunday school teachers, those who serve behind the scenes, making coffee before a service, setting up a stage. He uses them for the greater good of his work. And every single one of those people are valuable to God. He takes the raw material of sinful men and does a great work in and through them. If you travel... Back up north, some of you are from the Pittsburgh area. And back in the day, Pittsburgh, I mean, that was the place for steel. I mean, our warships had Pittsburgh steel on them. If you went up there to the three rivers, you'd see the barges coming down with with iron ore, with coal. And that stuff is heading to be made into steel that they would use and send all over the country. Ordinary people, humble people people who are working in terrible conditions and yet something so extraordinary came out of that that it was used all over the United States to help build this nation that's the beauty of God that's a picture an analogy of what God has done through you and through me he's able to change people and use them he does it through salvation he reaches the soul where the soul is and he saves the soul and I'm glad that in order before God saved us, he understood us. He could identify with us fully. Because Jesus, the Son of God who was incarnate, who was with God in the beginning, and I'm not talking about Genesis, there is no beginning with God. Before Genesis ever occurred, there was God. And he was God. And yet he comes in the form of man, fully man, meaning that he was tempted just like we are tempted. But the scripture says he never sinned. You say it's impossible for a man to not sin. That's just impossible. That's crazy. Well, not only was he fully man, he was also fully God while he was here. And, and our Jesus, he suffered before he died. He suffered greatly. He understood our sufferings. He died in a way that you and I did not. He paid the ultimate price. Here you have the Son of God who comes to earth, hangs on a cross, bearing the weight of our sins, my sin, your sin. Jesus carried your sin on the cross. He never committed those sins. 
but God put those sins on him, the one who had never sinned. And then God poured out his anger and his wrath and his judgment upon the Son of God in the form of human being. And Jesus suffered fully and he died physically because of our sin. And that is how God was satisfied by the work of his son to pay the price for our sin. The reason that we have forgiveness from God is because Jesus paid the perfect price fully, paid in full. Your sins have been covered completely. That's not just the sin that you committed in the past. That's the sin that you're going to commit today. That's the future sins that you will commit. You have now had this most extraordinary exchange with God. He takes your sin. He puts it on his son. And then he sees his son who is perfect, who never sinned. And he takes that righteousness in his son who is fully God, and he gives that righteousness, imputes it into you. Now that's quite an exchange. I give up my sinfulness to Jesus, and he puts on his righteousness on me. So that when the Father looks at me, he no longer sees Greg the sinner. He sees Greg, his son, covered by the blood of of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That's who you are as a Christian. You are justified by faith. You're justified, just as if you never sinned. That is how your heavenly Father looks at you if you are saved, born again. If you're not saved, it's like Brother Ken Chatham and I were talking this week, and he he was telling somebody, he said it this way to them. He said, hey, it's like this. You're going to take your last breath on this earth. And the next breath that you take, and by the way, you know, in the next life, there is no breath because there's no time and space. But as a figure, as a, a picture, you're going to take your final breath here. And then the next breath you take will either be in heaven or in hell. Now think about that. Now, when you put it in terms like that, and that's everybody, by the way. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets to come out of this life and enter the next and still have a choice to make. The choice has been made. You make it before you die. You have no right to make it after you die. And I'm just telling you that Jesus identifies with us. He understands us. This is why he chose to take Nehemiah through the process that he took him through, the preparedness. He had Nehemiah pray for four or three months. It could have been four months. We're not really sure because uh, the Jewish calendar falls between March and April. So we're somewhere in that ballpark from December. So he, he, he prays. He anguishes over the torn down walls of Jerusalem over the people that are still suffering and who are still subservient to the officials of that region. Who were these officials? They were the people that came in from Assyria and other places after the Israelites were hauled out. They came in. They took over Samaria. 
and now they're there, and God is sending his people home to Jerusalem and other places, and he's wanting them to rebuild, but these people are saying, ain't going to happen, bud. We're now in charge here. This is no longer your land. This is our land. Well, that, was, that might, be, it might sound good, but that's not the case. By the way, Israel is under attack even as we are speaking this morning, right? And it's a war. Make no mistake about it. Prime Minister Netanyahu made it very clear, we are at war, and we will not stop until we finish this battle. Now, I want to tell you something. I don't know what your thoughts are on Israel, but I'll tell you right now, let me, let me help set you straight on that if, you're, if you've kind of gone wonky, okay? The bottom line is, that land, all of it, not just the little area that Jerusalem occupies, but all of it belongs to God's people. It's the promised land. He did not promise it to the Arabs. He promised it to Israel. And what they have compared to what they should have is a small piece about the size of Delaware. And I'm telling you right now, nations have come up against them, around them, Arab nations. And they have attacked ever since Israel's national state, 19, what was, 47? They've been under attack from time to time again. Never once... Since 1947, has Israel ever initiated an attack on the Arabs? All they have ever wanted is peace. Let us exist as a nation, and we will allow you to exist as nations. But see, that's not what the Arabs want. What they want is the land. They don't want the Jews to occupy any of it. Their goal is annihilation. That's what one of their leaders said after this attack took place. They said, our goal is to remove the final occupation on the earth, to annihilate it. But I want to tell you something. God told Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. You can talk about our nation all you want and how wonderful we are. I'll tell you why God's blessed us, because we are a friend to Israel. First and foremost, secondly, I will curse those who curse you as a nation. And when a nation comes up against Israel, the Germans, go down through the history books, whenever it's happened, a price has been paid. And others might start the war, but Israel will finish the war. God has blessed them. You do know that in the end, there's going to be such an outpouring of evangelism amongst the Jews. They are going to come to Christ in unprecedented number. They will believe Jesus as Messiah. That hasn't happened yet. So don't think for a second, somehow, this 7 million people that occupy that area of Israel are going to somehow all be demolished. It won't happen. It will not happen. God's going to save for the end where he reaches them and brings them into his 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 body. Aren't you glad that as a Gentile you're in? Praise God. You should be witnessing to the Jews. You should show favor and respect to the Jews. Honestly, don't be against the Jews. That's a bad position to hold with God. So that's what's happening. And back in this day, it's just interesting to me as we read in this text, it's interesting what he said early on when he talked about these three, are actually the first time he spoke about it was what, like in verse 10? Look at verse 10, if you will, chapter 2. 
in verse 10. Now the king had sent with me officers of the horsemen, but when Sambalet the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite ser servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They're living in the land. They kind of have power over the region. And now they're under, they hear that Israel's going to rebuild, and they're like ticked off mad. Okay. Well, one of the things that Nehemiah does when he comes back, now again, he's an ordinary guy, but God gave him extraordinary gifting. What was his gifting? Leadership. And so immediately it's written in here that these guys were against this work that God was wanting done by Nehemiah. So look at the next verse. So these guys, they, they don't want Israel to benefit. They're against Israel. But the next verse, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. He's not interested in focusing on what others think. He's a leader. I'm here on God's good work, not mine and not yours. And so while it's important to know who your enemy is, you don't make your enemy the focus of your time because if you do, you'll lose sight of God and what he's called you to do. And so he goes out and at night he goes through and he begins to study the area and understand what's going on with the gates and the walls and he sees, he wants to understand what's the damage, what are we trying to do here? I need to understand it. But he doesn't go during the daytime where everybody can see what he's doing and know what he's doing. He does it at night with just a few men. So now he is moving from this position of, of uh, preparation. He starts to move into another role, and that is the planning. You can't plan until you know the information. you got to know about what it is God's called you to join him in. you got to know as much about it as you possibly can. You know, we're trying to purchase land. But we have gone overboard to understand what we're up against in terms of what would it take for us to occupy the grounds there. How, what kind of a standing uh, does that facility have with the community, with the, um, the, the city building planner, with, with the fire department? I mean, we, we've gone through, we've done our homework so that we are prepared. We know what we have to do. Again, I'm going to tell you, Steve Wade and Ben Maffitt, uh, those two men have done a lion's share of helping us to go through the 45 days of due diligence to prepare for the, the closing this December, early December. They've done incredible work, and I'm just so indebted to them, and you should be thankful for them, and you should reach out and talk to them and let them know how much you appreciate what they have done in behalf of this church. And Steve is suffering right now greatly uh, physically, and he could use that encouragement, I'm sure. We also want to thank the Lord for John... Foster, he's our attorney who lives in Stewart, Florida, and he was part of our church in Palm Beach Gardens, and John uh, has a law office in Jupiter, but John, uh, he has done a wonderful job helping to work with the attorney representing the seller and getting everything lined up and prepared and helping Steve and helping Ben with the things they need to be doing. So we have these who have planned well for us. Does that make sense? That's got to be in place to do God's work. You think, okay, we're going to do the work of the Lord. Lord, do it. 
We're, we're ready. Oh, we can't wait. Go do it, Lord. And the Lord's like, no, wait a minute. I could do it, but I'd rather use ordinary people to do it. Because by me using ordinary people and putting extraordinary gifts in them, the world will see that it's me. And they will see what I can do through ordinary. And that's what God's wanting from us. Just like that's what he's doing here with Nehemiah. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. So he, he goes into this project knowing exactly what is going on. And it says in chapter 2, verse 4, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? And he prayed, even going back to when he first came to the king and asked for permission to go back. He prayed, in the, in, uh, probably under his, under his breath, you know, Father, right now, the king's asking, give me the, give me the words to say to him. All the way through, he's wanting to join God. He never forgets. He never treats it like it's his project. It's God's project. So we need to keep our eyes off of the enemy, off of those who might be in opposition to what God's called us to do. Keep our focus on the Lord, and let's plan, let's prepare well, and let's plan well for what God is doing. And that could go for your home. That's how you should live your home. The world is trying to continually upset what you're doing in the home. Schools now, educational boards, do not want the parent to be the parent. They play the parent over the kids. That's what a lot of them would like to do. They're not all like that, but there are educational boards that want, they don't treat the parent like you're a parent. To them, a parent is just somebody that's dumb enough to have kids, but let us take over from there, and we'll raise your kids. We know what's best for them. That's opposition to what God laid out. God made you the parent for a reason. And what's the, one of the primary purposes of a parent? To raise your kids to fear the Lord, to respect God. To fear is to respect. It's to have awe for God. And you know what God does? He says, now let's use the analogy of a parent to a child. You have authority over your child. You don't let little Johnny get up in the morning and go outside and do whatever he wants to do all day, and then he tells you what time he's coming home and what he wants for dinner. No, see, Johnny is not the center of the universe. Johnny is a welcomed addition to the home. So, Johnny, uh, you can go out for an hour, and then you're coming in, and you're going to do some homework, and then after homework, Mom's prepared a meal for you. And we're going to have liver and onions tonight, Johnny. <laughs> Yuck! I hate liver and onions. Johnny, you just told me you want a second helping. Is there anything else you want to tell me? That was my home. That lady's sitting right over there that did it. Three boys. We learned to stop complaining and to take what we were given. They held the line with us. Thank you, God. She didn't give in. My father did not give in to the opposition, those who see the home differently. Oh, we would just, oh, oh, we would never tell Johnny no. That's a dirty word. Oh, that'll, that'll just, that'll break his will. Hello? Johnny's will needs to be broken. He needs to submit to God. And the parent is the picture that God wants Johnny to see. This is the real way for Johnny to learn to love and fear and respect God. Will Johnny like you for it? No, he will not. 
he will probably even announce at some point, I hate you. And you just go, okay, Johnny, I get it, no problem. And the next day, get up and do the same thing again. And there will come a day where Johnny will rise up and he will bless you for holding the line. That's what God does with us. That's what's important to God. And you got to plan for that. You got to prepare for that. You got to plan. You got to know what God wants in a parent. And then you live out that plan. Amen? At work, it's the same thing. In every facet of your life, join God in what He's doing at work in your life, in your workplace. The, the quick, easy answer is, oh, I hate my job. It's the worst. Pastor, if you only knew how bad the setting is that I'm in. Oh, if you only knew how bad it is. Let me tell you what I know. I know what it is to be terminated in the workplace with people who actually didn't understand or didn't ask to understand. I know what that feels like. Or to hold a position and people not like the position you hold in life. And you keep holding it because it's in the scripture. I'm not going to give up on this. And people write you off. You've had friends that have done that to you. We've all had that. See, it, no matter, you can take one of two routes. You can either gripe and complain. You can either run around and ask yourself, why me? Why did it happen to me? Why do I have to serve in that place of worship or, they, or place of uh, worship? That would be a bad thing too. But in that workplace, why do I have to be in a place where my boss is so cruel? Why, 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 why? For Lord, I'm joining you. Right now, I'm in this place. And I want to know what you're up to. I want to know how I can join you in it. How can I walk with you? Give me a plan. And you walk in it. And you take persecution for it. But you don't know the lives you're touching by how you live in that workplace. You just don't know. You don't know that God is working, using you. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> they come to a point here where there's this, this, this secret investigation. And he does that alone. But then he comes back at the end and he makes a public challenge. And if you look at the passage with me, look at verse 17. Look what it says. By the way, I've got a new Bible. I want you to look at the size of that thing. Now, you're probably tempted to think, Pastor Greg must be a really spiritual man to be able to have a Bible that big. Uh, he, 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 he's just so spiritually mature. Um, actually, the reason I have this Bible is because it's large print. Okay? I've asked God to give me better eyesight, and he said, no, I think you'll stay with what you got. And uh, it'll keep you humble. So I have to carry a Bible that's so big, I need a wheelbarrow to bring it in, okay? But uh, it's not spiritual at all. But in, in this, look at, if you will, with me at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. 
And I told them of the hand of God, my God, that had been upon me for the good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. He laid out the plan. When you take time with your children in the home to explain to them about why you are a parent, why you oftentimes have to say no, you explain to them, you're teaching them, and then finally, a child gets it, and they're like, uh, okay, I'm not going to fight you like I used to fight you, because I know that you've told me God's called you to do this, okay? Now, that doesn't mean when they turn a teenager that they won't turn, reflect back and do a little bit more of rebellion, but, but that's part of it, too, right? You'll always have opposition. We're, we're going to face opposition. We've already faced some opposition in going to a new property, with a, a damaged or a roof that's 32 years old and AC units that are old, and God is showing us how to handle that. And, and so we have to learn to trust Him, even in the things that don't make sense. We we trust Him. But I want you to see this. So they 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 were so excited about the work. Let's do it, because a good leader laid out a plan for them. Now, verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebuilding against the king? Now, why is, did they say that? Because when Ezra first started building the temple, these guys are the ones that wrote that king at that time who was Aswaris of Persia and said, hey, these folks are, you need to, Stop these folks because they're going to rise up and come against you. And so the king put out a decree, stop any work, any building in Jerusalem. So these guys had success but with that king before. But see, God's in this. It's God's timing for Israel to return and to rebuild. And, and so, by the way, even under Ezra, it was 10 years later that another king sat and it was, the name was Darius, and Darius said, no, let's get back to the work that they were doing. The reason they were building the temple to begin with was because Cyrus, who was king of Persia, had told them to rebuild it. See, God's always working, and sometimes God is the one that orders up trial because it forces us to make a decision. Am I going to continue to go with God, or am I going to walk away from this? You've got to have faith to walk with God. And so now they've got these guys who, because they've been able to threaten in the past and get what they wanted, now they're saying, are you going against the king? And so look what he, they said in verse 20. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. See, they're talking about kings, and Israel's response is, forget about your king. It is the God of heaven who will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build but you have no, listen to this now. You talk about Israel right now being under attack by the Arabs, by the Palestinians. Okay, look at this. Look at this. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. It's right there in the Bible, and that's not the only places. So they're saying, you, you can talk to us all day long about kings and what kings can do, but you don't understand, kings are in the hands of our God. And we're going to obey God. 
and our God will see this project through. So basically what happened in that situation, now you have the opposition that's exposed. You've got to know your opposition, and that's what happens. These guys have now been exposed that they're against the project. But Nehemiah, even though he wanted that exposure, he wanted the, the Jews to know who their enemy was, but let's not focus on them. Let's focus on the God who called us to this work. They can bark all they want, but the train rolls on. God is going to do this. Let's keep our focus on the Lord. Friends, that's how we are called to stand in the day that we live in, individually. The dog barks, but the train rolls on. The train is not you. You are on the train. The train is the work of God. The train is the commands of God over you. It's the word of God. I'm going to remain in the word. So let the enemy say whatever they choose today. I will not stop sharing the gospel with people. Twice in the Old Testament, two vivid stories stand out where God wanted an ordinary man, two different ordinary men, to understand what he felt regarding Israel and what he felt regarding his own son going to the cross. The first one was about, it was a messianic type, and that was Abraham with Isaac. Take your son, your only son whom you love, just like the father has one son that he loves, and go to the top of Moriah. Moriah is the same mountain that Jesus was, was put to the cross on. Take him to the top of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, it says, he gathered the donkey, he gathered the wood, he put the wood on, the son, on his son's back, he did like four different things, and all in the same sentence, and, and, and. and he, speaking of a polysyntodon, which is, which is polysyndeton, which is a continual action. In other words, Abraham never hesitated. God said it. Whew. He did exactly what the Lord wanted. And as he's climbing the mountain, getting close, his son Isaac says, Father, we have the wood so we can build a fire. We can have the sacrifice. But where is the sacrifice? What are we sacrificing? What was the father's response? Abraham said, son, God himself will provide the sacrifice. Raises the knife to plunge into his son and take his life and burn him as a sacrifice to God. And the angel stops him. And he looks over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And he takes that ram and he portions it and he puts it on the offering on, on the altar and he sacrifices it. God provided a way for Abraham out of. But Abraham was willing to go all the way. That is why Abraham was the father of faith. And I want to tell you this too. Well, that's some healthy lungs back there. 
praise God. I'm so thankful we have a church full of kids. Honestly, I hope there's never a day that those sounds are not with us. Amen? Would you agree? So, what was my point? Okay. So, so here's, this is really moving to me. Really moving. So, God was going to put his son on the cross. To Israel, God was the husband. Israel was to be the wife. Jesus was going to be the groom, and the church would be his bride. God wanted Abraham to feel what he feel or felt when Jesus went to the cross. Why? Because Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. He wanted that man to be a broken man to understand pain. To walk with God is going to require great faith. And that's what happened. The other guy was Hosea and Gomer. Go out and marry a woman who will become a prostitute. And will leave you. Gomer was a prophet of God. I want you to marry her. And then she's going to leave you and she's going to sleep around. And they lived in a small town and guaranteed every day that Gomer or that um, Hosea went out into the city, he saw men who had been with his wife. She left him. God said to Hosea, now go after her and bring her home. A wife who has prostituted herself with the men of the city Go after her and bring her home. Why? Why would God order that, command that of a prophet? Because Hosea was the final prophet before the fall of the, of the northern kingdom to the Assyrians. And he was to go out and let the people know that judgment is coming because you have committed whoredom you've taken on other gods you've prostituted you were God's children you were, are his wife and you prostituted yourself God wanted Hosea when he spoke of, of, of the impending judgment of God he wanted that man to speak in a way that was soft and tender real understanding of the level of their sin that was causing God to judge them. This week I had a tooth pulled up here and I chose to do the local, not to do the anesthesiologist way, you know. And so, you know, you get the typical shots in the gum and it really, no big deal. I, I do shots fine. It's not an issue. But then the dentist said, he's a surgeon, he goes, okay, now, one more shot. This one you're going to feel. And so I want you to take a deep breath. And he took that needle and he shot that thing up in my roof of my mouth. I have never in my whole life, including gout, experienced that level of excruciating pain. <laughs> but it was interesting the way he did it. He went that quick. And afterwards, when I recovered, 
I said, Doctor, you get first place for providing the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. And he laughed and he said, well, here's the deal. I wanted, when I was in dental school, they told us this shot is unlike any shot that you can give a person. And, you know, they taught us how to do it. He said, I went home that night and I gave that shot to myself because I wanted to understand what patients under my care would feel. That's a leader. Jesus understood what we feel. He understands you. He knows what it is to suffer for our sinfulness. Have you received him as he has called upon you to salvation? Have you surrendered and said, like Paul, no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. I, I surrender. I repent of my sin. Jesus paid the price for my sin. I, I just want to respond to him by faith and receive him as my Savior. Have you done that? To as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. If you have not received him, this is the day to do it. Just from your heart to God, just cry out to him, Father, I'm a sinner. I cannot believe what Jesus did for me. He paid the price for my sins. And now you're calling me to salvation to give me the righteousness of Jesus that you no longer look at me and see me as a sinner, but as your child. I receive that by faith. And I, I, I repent of my sin. No longer want to live for sin. I want to live for Christ. Amen? Father, this morning, I just pray that you would Help us to understand how much you love us and how much you, you have done in order to save us. May we respond to you. May we know that whatever pain we've experienced, you experienced it first and it was far greater than anything we could ever experience. But you did it for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for salvation that you gave us as a gift. We didn't earn it. We needed it. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we are thankful today. May we walk in that humility of understanding in that spirit of brokenness before you. We're ordinary people, but Lord, we are calling upon an extraordinary God who has gifted us extraordinarily to carry out your work. So we choose to join you in the home, in the workplace, and in the life of our church. We want to join you in your work. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, thank you, church. If anybody needs prayer, you can come to the front. The elders will be glad to meet with you and pray with you. Just come up and stand. But I'm going to call upon someone to close us in another prayer. It gives me time to get to the back of the room, okay? So.
if you can just stay where you are just for a second. Keith, would you lead us in a prayer, closing prayer?